It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.07 on a Saturday morning. This is Lawn and Garden. I'm Walter Reeves, the Georgia Garden, 33 degrees outside. And this being Lawn and Garden, you can ask me any garden question you have on your, on your mind, on your heart, on your lips this morning. If you have something to say about your trees, about your shrubbery, about your lawn, about your flowers, if you have a question about controlling bugs inside of the house, about critters inside the house, squirrels and various things like that. If you have a question about anything about the natural world outdoors that puzzles you or you wish to figure out a little bit better how to be successful at doing it, then give me a call, 404-872-0750, Or if you are on Twitter, you'll write your question in and just end it with hashtag, pound sign, ask Walter. So Ashley can read those, those messages on Twitter. We'll answer those a little bit later this morning. So the big adventure has started, but it's not finished yet. Remember, was it two weeks ago or three weeks ago when I told you that I was going to have the great big monster sweet gum that has dropped sweet gum balls on my driveway for the last 20 years that I've lived in my house, and I've tripped on them and rolled over them and just been irritated by them, plus all the leaves that my sweet gum has dropped on my driveway and my turnaround and everything around my front yard is covered in sweet gum leaves every fall. And I finally said a couple of weeks ago, I'm going to have it down. I have, I have hired a company. They're going to come and take down that sorry sweet gum. It's big. I know it's big. I know it provides shade to part of the yard. I know it's a sort of a visual block for the back of the, of the uh, landscape. But I am tired of being subject to the whims of when the balls fall, which they seem to fall every day of the year. So I was never not seeing sweet gum balls on my driveway. So I hired a company. They couldn't come last week because of the snow and ice and everything. So they decided to come this week, yesterday, and got started. And it was just a beautiful thing to see, to see these guys up in the trees cutting limbs and doing them so carefully. And I want to contrast that. If you've been in downtown Decatur any time in the last couple of three weeks now, I guess, it's been about two and a half weeks now since it happened. If you have seen the trees and shrubs around the courthouse, the old courthouse, how they have been butchered, just taken apart by somebody who had no more idea what they were doing than where to push the start button or where to aim their clippers. It is just a tragedy in downtown Decatur. Somebody was hired, I assume they were hired to beautify the place, to make the whole downtown Decatur around the old courthouse look better. What they ended up doing was making it uglier. I mean, tree stubs left, bark torn off, shrubs pruned in ways you just can't imagine what somebody was thinking other than might have been drunk when they did it. Just not any understanding at all of what they were doing to prune those trees. Whereas yesterday, when I got to see these professionals who are ISA certified, licensed, tree-hugging people, ISA certified arborists, they were up in the tree just making sure that every cut was just perfect. This was even on a tree that's going to be taken down. They were still making the perfect cut. All right, I'll, I'll describe one of them to you. Of course, with a sweet gum, as big as mine, there are lots of big limbs, six or seven inch diameter limbs. 
And the way that you cut those limbs off, whether they're close to the ground and you can do it yourself, or whether you're a tree cutter and you're way up in the tree, 50 or 60 feet up in the tree, still the way to cut them off is to relieve most of the weight on the limb first and then make a, a final cut later. So the way you relieve weight on the end of the limb, you choose a spot about 10 or 12 maybe feet from the tip, a lot of twigs and branches and small pieces out beyond you. But anyway, you take a, a place about 10 or 12 feet beyond, uh, closer to the tree from the tip, and you make one cut up. Just take your chainsaw as they had yesterday, and you make one cut up, and then you make a second cut, usually down. Come from the top, just above the first cut. And the whole limb pops off. They've got it roped in, and so it's lowered slowly down to the ground, leaving a stub, many times a stub, only two or three or four feet long. So they would loosen the, the first limb that was lowered to the ground, pull the rope back up, and wrap it around the stub. And then the guy with the chainsaw was up there cutting very precisely, making sure that he made his cut just outside what's called the, the growth collar, tree collar, limb collar, maybe is another word for it. It's the place on the trunk where a limb comes out. And if you go to any tree, most any broadleaf tree anyway, maybe not so much on, on pines, but it's really easy to see on any broadleaf tree, oaks and, and maples and things like that on sweet gum, easy to see on the sweet gum too, there's a little collar, a little ridge, a little round donut kind of thing that's right there on the trunk of the tree. And from the middle of that round donut thingy on the tree comes the limb. Originally, when it was a little bitty, it came out of a little bitty collar. And then as it gets bigger, the collar gets bigger. And before long, you've got a collar that's the same diameter as the base of the limb. And the limb comes out, but leaving, in these guys' case, you're leaving about a three-foot stub sticking out of that collar. Whenever you prune a limb off completely, you need to make the cut just on the outside of that collar. And the amount of oxygen that that collar, that, that reaches the cells in that collar, causes it to grow real rapidly, and it seals over the cut real rapidly, real fast. All the, seals see, all the cells swell up, and they grow to cover over the collar, and cover over the wound, cover over the hole, so that nothing, no, you know, water and bugs and diseases and things like that can get into the tree. So even yesterday, when the limb was going to come down completely, when the whole tree is going to come down within the next day or two, the guy was out there making his Absolutely every cut was right outside of the collar. Make sure it was very nicely done because he just in the in the habit of doing it that way. That's what professionals know how to do, how to make a cut right outside the collar. And they were doing it so well yesterday. Didn't get mostly didn't get all of it done yesterday, some limbs still to come down and then the bulk of the tree will come down today. It was just a pleasure to see how professionals cut trees. And if you, even an amateur, even with me, when you cut down a tree, make sure you Relieve the weight first, and then cut that stub just outside of the collar. Let's go to the phones. We've got our friend Nicole from Griffin, Georgia, joining us. Hey, Nicole, good morning. Mr. Eve. Well, I had a big job yesterday. It was watching other people do work. It was really hard. <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do with this, Tom? Well, to be truthful, Nicole, you know that I you know, have other, sometimes other plans for stumps besides having a stump ground. I'm going to get them to leave about a 10-foot trunk in the ground, untouched. And the reason I do that is because there's so many insects and things that live in underneath the bark of the tree once it starts rotting and deteriorating that the woodpeckers and other creatures come up there and eat. And so I'm making a, a snag for the birds, I guess you'd say, something for the wildlife to enjoy until finally it'll fall over. And I made it such that it won't fall over on my car or anything nearby. It'll just eventually fall over. I'll push it over into a safe place. 
I went to a place one time, and this man had the same idea. But you know what he did? He put some uh, beautiful uh, bird feeder. Yeah, and bird. Sure. It was so pretty. I then a that. vine coming down and covered the... Uh, the long ten foot and eight or ten foot. I thought it was silver. So I'm going to do sure. the same. Sure, yeah, 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 it's a great idea. So hopefully I'll feed the birds out there. They'll have a lot of a lot more years of pleasure for me to watch the birds rather than displeasure and having to break up all the leaves. I think the bird we need to feed them this week. The bird feeder was like three inches of snow. I had to go and get the snow off, yeah. and because if you, they feed down, they're vulnerable. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's cold. They need energy. They need the oil and the, the protein from the seeds as they eat. Sure, we feed the birds to make them be able to survive the cold. What a week, isn't it? <laughs> we don't want too many seven, weeks like this. What is it, 17 degrees Tuesday morning? It was just plain cold, Nicole. And then to the, today, tomorrow's going to be in the 60s? Come on. How about that? You still had some snow in your, at your place? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, snow, patches of snow underneath the shrubbery, underneath the trees. Yeah, a lot of snow. Still we around. had a good three inches here. In Griffin, we did. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Wow, I didn't realize it was that heavy down there. Wow, that's a lot. Yes. Uh, it's still there. <laughs> and ice on... on Why? Well, I mean, ice just... It was too soft, and the ground was too warm, and then it turned on in ice, yeah. and the wind polished yeah, yeah. the ice. The, the It was dangerous. Uh, Tuesday and Wednesday nights, it was dangerous both nights. The ice on the on the streets and highways had just refrozen. It was just slick, slick, slick going out. I had no intention of getting out of the house during either day. Big time. Uh, Where I go, Mr. Reeve, uh, almost every day, there's a lot of rooster. (laughs) And I was thinking, how can they survive? It was so cold for us. And those little legs, would they freeze? (laughs) You know, I haven't thought about it closely, even though I grew up on a chicken farm, but I assume that they don't have much blood going up and down to the legs. And so if they get cold, even though they're exposed to a lot of of, uh, freezing temperatures, I guess the legs just don't freeze. Somehow the legs don't get brittle and the chicken is able to walk around the next day on it, I guess. Oh, they were there the next day because I went back and those beautiful roosters, and they have a lot, probably 10 or 15 days yeah. going yeah. wild in Griffin. So, uh, how do they sleep? They sleep underneath the uh, pine straw and things, I guess? No, I guess. Uh, roosters will find a place, you know, if they're out of doors, they'll find a little shrubbery or something they'll climb up under two or three of them together and put their heads on each other's shoulders as they sleep underneath. And in a chicken house, of course, they gather up together on the roost and sleep there. Mm, no chicken dolls there. Maybe underneath some old house. Yeah. And when I was a kid, we had a, a flock of bantam hens. You know what bantams are, the little small chickens. And bantam chickens usually can take care of themselves pretty well outdoors without any, any supervision from the, the humans. And so the bantams would roost up in a holly, an American holly tree. And I remember very clearly looking up in that tree and sort of thinking, those, gir- those birds are going to poop on me if I don't get out of here. And I was only six years old, probably, but this was one of my first realizations of better plan ahead before you go underneath that holly tree because those birds are going to make a mess on you, kid, if you're not careful. Well, they climb in the tree? Yeah. Oh, they fly up in the tree. Oh, yeah. They fly mm-hmm. from limb to limb. They go up on the first limb and fly to the second limb. By, you know, dark time, they'd all be up 15 or 20 feet in the tree. So those roosters, those beautiful collars, how do you yeah. call them? Yeah, the, the hackles, the feathers, the, you know. I don't know, there are names for the different feathers on a bird, but I've forgotten just about all of them. Oh, they are so pretty. They're yeah. purple, uh, not purple, green, orange. Yeah, 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 yeah. Nice colors on the roosters in particular. You know, uh, when I came in in 1984, we had a snowstorm like this. But yeah. uh, not 
uh, not too, not that long. But anyway, I went. I had. I live in an all electric house. Yeah. And I went to sleep with a fireman. You went to sleep with a fireman? Yes, at the firehouse. Oh, oh, oh at the firehouse. <laughs> <laughs> they just came in and say, "Hey, Nicole, can we use your bed? We'll be right here." Well, that was <laughs> the only place that was warm because they. Uh, I don't know if they still do the. They still uh, do. Uh, uh, get heat with the yeah. wood. Yeah, they had warm, wood stove, yeah. you sure. know. I think they still do because in case something happened. But anyway, that night there were a lot of beds that were uh, one on top of the other yeah. and we slept there. And uh, wow. I didn't know what to do because I thought it was the south and I said, oh, it's <laughs> warm. thought we were warm down here, didn't you, man? <laughs> you were a bad welcome. Oh, boy, look at the clock. i got to get out of here. Nicole, it's so wonderful to talk to you once again. I hope the roosters uh, survive their weather weather trials down there in Griffin. I hope to see you next Saturday. Enjoy your day. Enjoy your day as well. We'll see you next time at 620. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves and the lawn and garden advice you need. Weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today, the high 57 degrees. Heaven to Betsy, we love that. Low 37 overnight. Mix of sun and clouds during the day. Sunday, Sunday, totally sunny. High of 63 degrees. Low in the mid 40s. Check it out. 34 degrees right now at News Talk WSB. By the way, if you want to get an arborist, a trained, licensed, educated arborist, come look at your trees. If you have tree damage that needs to be taken care of. They have a website, georgiaarborist.org. It's still there, georgiaarborist.org. And everybody who is certified has their license right there beside it, so you can trust that there's somebody who knows what they're doing when they're getting up in your tree. Our number is 404-872-0750. Hashtag Ask Walter on Twitter. We'll be back after news. It's the Lawn and Garden Show with Walter Reeves on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. It's brought to you by Pike Nurseries, your neighborhood garden center. Playing in the dirt for more than 50 years. Call now with your lawn and garden questions at 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. And now, here's Walter. It's 6.36 at News Talk WSB, 33 degrees outside. This is Lawn and Garden. Walter Reeves, the Georgia Gardener, and I'm here to help you be more successful. You tell me what you want to be more successful doing, and I give you an answer. 404-872-0750. Let's see. Mike is in Swanee, Georgia, with a question about trees, which is something I've been curious about this time of year. Hey, Mike. Good morning. Hey. I was wondering why some of the trees still have brown leaves on them. Are they going to turn green or what? Ooh, Michael, get a pencil. I have a word for you. <laughs> Get a pencil, write this word down. It's called marcescence, M-A-R-S-C-E-N-C-E, marcescence, or they are, if you use the adjective, they are marcescent trees. And the one you're noticing, the one that I noticed too, Mike, is the American beech tree, which is well known amongst those of us who go outside and look at trees as the tree that is so noticeable. You saw this in the woods yesterday or the day before. I've seen it for the last two or three weeks. Everything else is leafless. All the trees are bare right now. One tree, usually 15, 20 feet tall, is the American beech. It has little brown leaves on it. They look pretty nice in the sunlight. They look pretty nice outside. 
Are they going to turn green soon? Yeah, yeah, they'll they'll push the old leaves off as soon as the buds start swelling in the spring. So start looking around the first week of February even, but by the last of February when things have warmed up just a little bit and the buds have swollen, and all those leaves, all those beech tree leaves will be dropped to the ground underneath. There won't be any more on the tree. It'll be bare, getting ready for the new green leaves of spring. Interesting. You know, one more thing, Mike, that I think is interesting, too, about the beach is they are very limited by shade. And that's why all those trees that I see, you may see, too, are, again, they're 10 to maybe 15, possibly 20 feet high, but usually in the 10 to 15-foot range. And they'll stay at that size for a long time unless the tree that's shading them gets blown down or cut down or something you know, changes as far as the light level goes, then all of a sudden that beach will just shoot up. Whoa! It goes up in the air really quickly over the next four or five years when it gets a little sunshine, much quicker than it was when it was shaded. And then you have these nice beach uh, glades, I guess you'd call it, with this shade given by this huge beech tree. And when they get big, beaches are beautiful, lovely, gorgeous trees. Um, but they're limited by shade when they're small, and they keep their leaves on for reasons I'm not really sure why they do that. I just know that's what you're seeing is the American beach. Did you write my word down, Mike? Yeah. Marcescence, M-A-R-S-C-E-N-C-E. Marcescence is the phenomena of trees holding their leaves. And one, another tree that you may see, Mike, that does too is the um, sawtooth oak. Sawtooth oak holds its leaves pretty late into the into the wintertime, so it's marcescent as well. All right, I got to go, but thank you for calling, Mike. It gives me a chance to show off my big vocabulary <laughs> on a Saturday morning. We'll see you soon, Michael. See you 404-872-0750 gets you in to take Mike's place. Steve out in Jefferson, Georgia. Hey, Steve. Good morning. Walter, how you doing? Doing fine. You know what I'm doing, Steve? I'm looking forward to being at Foliage Fest. In Jefferson, every year they have it in March, I believe it is, and I'll be in Jefferson then to talk to people and answer questions and go around to the vendors at Foliage Fest. It's a wonderful experience, great, great community thing. Good. Look forward to seeing you. Yeah, man. What's up? Hey, I've got some peach trees. I've moved into my house, I guess it's about a year and a half, and the peach trees look more like trees than your normal peach trees, and they're about 12 feet, 13 foot tall. Uh. And I need to know how low to prune them and, and what time of year to prune them to make them, you know, so I can get the fruit lower to yeah. the ground. Yeah, the last question is easiest because it's now. The answer is one word, now. Uh, anytime okay. January or February is a good time to prune peaches. And the way to prune it, I guess, Steve, is to make sure or to try to accomplish something that was better accomplished back when it was young, back when the peach was just planted and just was four or five feet tall. is the time that you cut the center stem completely out and let it re-sprout below that point, and the limbs will come out about two feet and then curve upward, giving you a nice open bowl shape on top of a little short stump. That is what maximizes the number of leaves to make the peaches sweet, to make a good-sized peach and to have sugar in it. Okay. And so now you've got a tree that's got a pretty much straight trunk in the middle and limbs going out to the sides so you can cut it as you said what how tall 12 feet tall steve yes sir yeah i wouldn't feel any i wouldn't feel bad about it if you had pretty healthy limbs below a six foot level i would cut it at six feet maybe if you've got some good limbs going in different directions underneath that point and let that be your height let it be at six feet okay that's what i'll do there i've got some good strong limbs and, yeah. and the, you know like the center stems are gone but 
um, you know, it's branched out. But all the fruit-bearing limbs are growing, you know, straight up. Yeah. And frankly, they're not going to give you many fruit. It's the horizontal limbs. That's why you cut the middle out is to encourage horizontal limbing limb structure on a peach. Because on most in most trees, this is true: apples, peaches, plums, pears. The horizontal limbs are the ones that give you the fruit. The vertical limbs are the ones that just go up into the sky and look around for a while without a whole lot of flowering or fruiting on it. They just don't have much to do with your enjoyment of the tree. Okay. Well, All right. Awesome. All right, Steve. Nice talking to you, man. All right. Thank you, sir. There's a lot of trees that can be pruned right now. Apples certainly can be pruned right now. Apples, peaches, pears, plums, muscadine grapes, bunch grapes, all the fruiting things, generally speaking, will fruit on new wood, new tissue the coming year. And so now's the time that you can um, you can prune those if you need to for shape and size and things like that. Actually, you got a question for me? Yeah, you mentioned folks can, uh, on Twitter, they can yeah. use the hashtag AskWalter. So a follow-up to what Steve just asked, somebody wants to know if they do prune the peach tree or yeah. any fruiting tree now, is there a need to put anything on the cut after pruning it? Oh, man, that's a great follow-up to my little lecture earlier in the show when I was talking about how to prune limbs off. No. Another word, one-word answer. No. You don't put anything on those cut wounds that you do when you're pruning a tree because... Remember I also said earlier about oxygen and how oxygen triggers the healing process, the overgrowth of the, of the hole in the tree trunk. Oxygen is what you want to get to the damaged part of the tree. And if you put tree wound tar or paint or anything else over that wound, then the oxygen can't get there. And so you're just making a, a, not a bad situation, you're making a situation that could get worse. You're giving it the opportunity to get worse by putting tar on it. So no cut, no nothing. The only thing that you might do actually in an apple tree or a pear that had a disease called fire blight, sometimes the things you do there is to dip the cutters into alcohol or bleach or something like that to, to sterilize them. That's not really putting anything on the wound. It's just sterilizing your cutter between, between cuts. No, that's all you do. Nothing on tree wounds. Zero. Nada. I don't care if they sell it at the hardware store. I don't care if the hardware store guy says, oh, yeah, you need to get this thing of tar to put on your car. No, it's not right. Don't put them on. Donna. <laughs> Donna is stunned because I'm so passionate about that. Hey, Donna, good morning. Good morning. How can I help? I have very large American boxwoods. Oh, great. Well, I consider large. They're about six feet tall. And I have to have my house painted. And all of the contractors that have come to look are horrified at the size <laughs> of these shrubs and say, oh, they must be cut back. Huh. And that gives me heartburn to think about it um, because they're they're really limmy or, you know, the yeah. green is on the outside. So what do you recommend? Do, do they recommend cutting them back because it will interfere with their painting or because it's they're scared the paint will get onto the shrubs? Or what's their motivation for saying they need to be cut back? They're, They've grown so big, they're close to the that house and close yeah. to the porch and in the way, and they think if they're working around them, they'll break them, right. and they right. would rather, I think, I have the responsibility of cutting them back, and right. I think they'll end up looking like sticks. For no, they won't. No, they won't. Boxwoods, if it's healthy, if your boxwoods are healthy, they respond just about like a holly to pruning, meaning that if you prune it within a couple of months, if warm weather comes and sunshine hits that pruning cut, the buds beneath it will swell open up, give you new leaves, cover over the, the stub that you left, and it'll be green once again. Well, how far back should I cut these? Uh, enough to make the painters happy. <laughs> my answer. You can, get, you can cut them back by at least a quarter, probably by a third, and in many cases by a half. 
without well, hurting the boxwoods much at all. They're by half. Yeah. Um, and it, you, um, if, you, if you're going to have the pruning, the painting, I mean, done now, which, well, are they going to do it now when it's so cold? Are they going to do the pruning? No, now? no. I'm just trying to line them up. Okay. Um, all right, good. But they wanted, they said before they'd come, I'd have to have the boxwoods. Yeah. Severely cut is how they put it. You're going to be irritated with yourself if you prune the boxwoods now because you'll see all those ugly stems sticking out and you'll think to yourself, oh no, what have I done? I killed my boxwood if you do it now, but you really don't have to do it now because they're probably not going to paint now when it's so cold. So you could wait until the week before they're coming to paint and say they will be pruned back by the time you arrive. Don't worry about it. And then do it yourself or hire somebody. Even if it's March before they get here? Yeah, sure. You could do it in March. Easy, easy to do in early March, first week of March. would be a great responsive time. That's when things are warming. Any bud that wants to break will pop open real quickly. So, yeah, first week of when March would be when, a great time. When is, when is too late to prune them? I hate Normal. pruning boxwoods and hollies and things like that. I hate pruning them in July when it's really, really hot and dry, and they have such a need for water and that new tissue yes. that's being grown, and that stresses the whole plant to prune them in the hot weather during the summertime. So not a good time in the summer. Spring? Is a good, yeah, again, first of March, end of February, somewhere in there is just perfect, perfectly All placed. Right. Thank you, sir. Have a good morning. Good talking to you, Donna. Thanks for calling. Awesome. Appreciate it. Bye. Number that Donna dialed, you know the number, 404-872-0750. Jesse is in coming and joins us on Lawn and Garden. Jesse, hey, good morning. Good morning, Walter. How are you doing? Hey, brother, I'm doing fine. How can I help? Well, I've got some Leland cypresses that block a road back behind my house. Yeah. And the builder put, uh, there's probably four or five of them. They're well-grown, 15, 20 feet. And the builder went and put uh, Bradford pears, three or four of them, in front of that. Hmm. I have nine Bradford pears on my three-quarter acre lot. Oh, man. That's about nine too <laughs> so, many right there. Yeah. So the, are so they shading got, the Lelands? What's going on with it? Yes, they're shading the Lelands, and they're uh, beautiful on one side and brown on the other. Yeah. And I'm wondering if I cut these Bradford pears down, will they recover? <sighs> Probably not. That's the bad part about any needled evergreen, Leland cypress, arborvitae, all the needled junipers, all those needled evergreens. When you you leave them with no greenery on a limb, that limb goes ahead and dies. It does not re-sprout like a boxwood. Or Hollywood. I was reassuring Donna okay. just now that you know you prune your boxwood and the buds that are left will sprout and cover over the stems. No big deal. With Leland cypress, though, if any of the limbs that are left when you've pruned your Bradford pears down, if those limbs are brown, they're going to be brown forever. They're not going to re-sprout. Well, then I don't know what be the lesser of two evils: <laughs> cut the Leland's down, or yeah. there, there's literally. Seven feet trunk to trunk. Oh, that's too close, man. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's it's horrible. So another um, option could possibly be cut the Bradfords down and plant something that's evergreen and short. In other words, maybe a boxwood or maybe a autolucan laurel or some other evergreen shrub to hide the brown limbs of the Leland cypress underneath there. Awesome idea. Or start all the way over. Oh, you could start all the way over, I'm sure, Mr. Pike. Which I really don't want to do. I mean, uh, I have a fence behind the Leland Cypresses, but uh, I'd really, it's nice to look out the back and see some green. Yeah, see some greenery back back there, sure. 
Nobody okay. says you have to do it all in one whack, too. You could do two or three in the middle and replace them and you know, neaten them up and look pretty for a year or two and then cut some more and then cut some more and just do it in stages. Nothing wrong with doing that. Just figure out what you want to do in the stage that you want to cut them in. It's 649 at News Talk WSB. We'll be back after this. This is Scott Slade, host of Atlanta's Morning News on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. We'll be covering breaking news, Kirk Mellish weather, and traffic red alerts through the weekend. And the Southeast's largest news team is here for you first thing Monday morning when you head back to work. News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB. Now back to Walter Reeves, the lawn and garden advice you need. All right, so yes, Jason, we have been talking about apples, peaches, and probably not pumpkins so much this morning. Jay and the Techniques there with apples, peaches, pumpkins, and things like that. Quick weather update brought to you by Ackerman Security. Today is going to be warm, 57 degrees of high today. Praise the Lord, low tonight, 37 degrees. Tomorrow, sunny, Sunday, sunny, totally sunny all day long, high of 63 and low of mid-40s overnight. Your full weekend forecast comes up in 10 minutes on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB. Let's see here. Uh, Jim's way out yonder in Arkansas. Jim, join us on Lawny Garden. Good morning. Good morning, Walter. I have a question about uh, centipede. I have a sodic centipede lawn. Yeah. I have a lawn service that's putting lime on it. I've always heard that lime wasn't good for centipede. Yeah. It's not quite true, and I know that you've heard that because I've heard it too, but the, the, what, what is really happening is that centipede tolerates acid soils better than other grasses do meaning that if you don't get around to liming, centipede would be the grass. <laughs> if you're a lazy guy, then centipede would be the grass for you because it doesn't have to be limed to thrive. On the other hand, Jim, if the soil has a really low acidic, low pH number, low um, amount of, of uh, acid or a high amount of acid, I guess, in the soil, when the pH is down to the 4.5 to 5 or something like that, centipede, like the other grasses, would rather be a little bit higher, maybe 5.5 to 6. So... If your lawn person has put the lime down after doing a soil test, the university, you know, accurate soil test, and it said put lime down, I wouldn't argue with it because you can sometimes improve centipede by putting lime down. But if they're just putting lime out because they just felt like it and charge you 10 extra dollars, then that's not a reason to put lime on a centipede lawn. Okay, I've got one other question for you. Speak to me. you got 30 I, seconds. I have a kefir pear. Yeah. Uh, do I need another one to... to uh, cross-pollinate that? No, most times they are pretty self-fruitful or they get pollen from other pear-like plants, I guess, quinces and things like that that are in the landscapes. So generally not. Keefers are pretty self, self-pollinating self all by themselves. All right. Well, all I right. appreciate it. Good Thank talking you. to you, Jim. Thanks for calling. All right. 404-872-0750 is our number. In the next half hour, Jeff will talk to us about replacing his fescue with zoysia. And Lance and Lilbert wants to know what to do with a flowering quince before he moves it. Again, 404-872-0750. We'll be back after news. Then I'm going to take him home. 